0: All right, so we're live in person at the Accelerate event. Introduce yourself and, and tell tell our audience what you do.
1: Awesome. Uh, I'm Dan Kogan. Uh, I head up product management uh, for everything cloud and as a service related in FlashArray and also of our product marketing and go-to-market sort of side of the house.
0: Must be exhausting.
1: Uh, it's a lot. Yeah, that's good. It's fun.
0: So, so you're you're doing, uh, I mean, we're talking today. Your announcement's coming out tomorrow, so we're... We're out ahead of that a little bit. Uh, you're talking to customers though, I presume under the, the cloak of uh, non-disclosure, sure. and telling them about what, what you've got going on. What's the quick hit on what's resonating? What are, what are you getting great feedback on?
1: Yeah, I'd say probably the biggest overarching message and, and sort of thing that is really resonating with customers is when we talk about cloud operating model and cloud being more a operating model than a destination. Okay. So all of our customers, it's funny, a lot of our most of our customers, right, are on premises storage teams. Uh, And they almost view the cloud competitively in some ways when you're looking at For fair reasons. For fair reasons, right? And it puts their they they see it as putting their jobs in jeopardy in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, I think as companies have matured on the right use cases for the cloud and understanding actually cloud costs aren't necessarily lower in most cases, right? When's the last time you've seen cost reductions in some mm-hmm. of those core services, and um, that companies aren't as all in on the cloud as they maybe would have been a couple years ago. And so the world is gonna be hybrid. Some applications are gonna live in the cloud, some are gonna live on premises, data sets, really the it's is growing everywhere. Data centers are growing, cloud data center, cloud, volumes of data in the cloud are growing. Mm-hmm. And so those customers, cloud is less of a threat to them in that model. And it's actually more of a something they have to learn to work across and because what their customers want is a common operating experience. So I may not, I may not my company may not be going all in on the cloud for whatever reasons, cost, compliance, security, mm-hmm. et cetera. But the agility, the, the fa- instant access to resources, the not honestly, I mean, not even worrying about what the underlying infrastructure is. Those are all really true benefits that, well, yeah,
0: depending on your, your, what you're trying to do, right? Yeah. It, there's a certain uh, instant access that the cloud provides that if you want to stand up that infrastructure in your own you know, lab or data center where it's uh, impossible to do at that speed, right? I mean, GPUs and accelerators are a great example of if you don't want to make a big investment in an HPC cluster mm-hmm. in your data center, because you don't need it, but sometimes you do, you can take that data set, go to the cloud, get some GPU instances, run your stuff, and then come back, um, which is pretty cool. But are yep. you seeing this, sort of the modality that you were talking about, are you seeing cloud acceptance in specific workloads, or is it company types, or like what's the, the common thread in terms of where you're seeing these hybrid uh, scenarios being run I mean, We see the
1: hybrid scenarios pretty consistently from larger enterprise customers. I mean, I think if you're starting a SaaS company, you're, you're probably starting in the cloud and you're not coming back. Like, mm-hmm. There's not many Dropbox full-on repatriation stories out there. <laughs> so we'll say traditional enterprise, okay. right? Companies that build something other than a SaaS software platform mm-hmm. um, are running in those dual modalities. Right, and really the cloud side was driven more by the end application owners and the developers, not the IT teams. That's initially, it was kind of how you could go rogue and because you weren't getting what you needed from IT. So therefore it's easy to spin up and provision resources and now you've kind of got that both IT trying to wrestle for control and at the same time learning that you know it's oftentimes the CFO who's the one actually saying like this cloud thing is not actually cheaper for us. It's costing mm-hmm. us a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's changing kind of the way the businesses work and have to get over that. But that DevOps flexibility and all the same reasons that the end, um, the business units and the development teams that IT supports and needs to provide infrastructure for, those have those needs of why they went to cloud initially haven't changed. And so they are not just asking; they're kind of demanding their IT teams operate in that cloud-like way, even no matter where the infrastructure lives. So whether or not I'm spinning up you know resource groups in AWS or I'm doing it out of my data center i want a common experience i want to be able to do it from a common tool set where the infrastructure lives honestly that's a rele- that should be irrelevant to the end user in a lot of ways it just needs to be able to provide that to them so that overarching message is really really resonating because it seems to be something a lot of our larger customers are grappling with
0: uh, and what are they finding to be the right mix of have, have you honed in on that in terms of i'm sure it's different for every organization but how do they know when they found, like they knew the bill was too big, yeah. that the instantaneous nature of the cloud was great, but not worth that bill perhaps yeah. in, in some cases. So where's the right balance? Um, or how are they finding that? Or is it just know it when you see it kind it's of thing? A, there's some know it when you see it. I
1: mean, I think there's a mix of if, if applications are already built on premises uh, and the effort level to port's gonna be really high and the cost can be really high, you're probably gonna, gonna move those necessarily but you still want to improve the underlying infrastructure around it. Uh, you have certain, again, certain applications you just don't want to build, whether it's in the cloud from a latency perspective, um, uh, potentially, uh, again, compliance perspective, all mm-hmm. those sorts of things will continue to drive that. And other workloads or other net new kind of things, you you start there and you kind of go there. So I think there's general parameters that, that sort of guide these things.
0: Hmm. Um... But you really see that more as an enterprise issue that the smaller companies are either going, well, maybe they're all going all cloud or presumably some, some are doing all on-prem as well. Is that- I think
1: as the, it's, not, it, it's more of a maturity thing than an enterprise thing, I think, okay. because you have plenty of small businesses who are operating on-prem mm-hmm. and that's a whole new set of skills. Right, that's going to the cloud, or a lot of smaller companies don't even have IT departments. They they have an MSP they trust, or sure. a local you know partner that they trust. So it's not necessarily cloud as a large company versus small company thing. Um, I think it's a it's an age of company is more so. So you know a couple of companies ago prior to to pure. Um, uh, I was at a CMO at a company called Azuqua, which is a SaaS app integration platform. We made basically other SaaS apps talk with one another and, and, and automate workflows between them and ultimately got acquired by Okta. Um, but that company, we never had a piece of infrastructure on prem. We had no data centers. Our, our CFO was also our IT guy. Right? <laughs> um,
0: Sounds like a lot of doctors' offices, where the, yeah. the physician tends to be the IT administrator, right? In
1: those kind of, yeah, in those scenarios too. So, which means they're not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, in the case of Azuqua, everything we did was was built on either AWS or it was some other SaaS service that we uh, that we consumed. It's mm-hmm. typical of I think any you know, basically software startup. Right. Um, so those are companies that are starting all in on cloud, and they probably aren't going to be running anything on-prem until they hit a point where it just doesn't uh, it doesn't scale to go on on cloud. And that's where, you know, we have those customers too, where Meta is one that's been really public, right, is a massive peer customer. But there's a number of other really large SaaS companies that, mm-hmm. that run peer in their data centers that aren't because they're not built 100% in the public cloud or actually not at all in the public cloud. They view the public cloud as as a competitor to them.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I guess these SaaS guys that you're talking about at a certain point tend to be their own hyperscale. Exactly, they're their own hyperscale. They just don't have uh, the constituents the same way they've got customers, but not consuming their cloud resources exactly, right? Uh, But by when you measure them, these guys get really freaking big, don't they? Yeah, they get really, really big. That's right,
1: and so the people so great, that's one target set of customers for us. But the ones like with PureFusion, the product that enables this kind of cloud operating model, and that's the one I get brought and talk a lot about. Um, most of the companies we're talking to there are very large, very mature household brand type names that are operating their data centers again at a massive scale mm-hmm. to the point where it's just cloud economics aren't gonna work for them. Uh, and many of those are also really, really large banks. Mm-hmm. Right, and So you have other compliance kind of things concerns, and security too. concerns there. Um, so that's, I think, where the problem is most pronounced today. But ultimately, right, it's, if you're, storage is one layer of the infrastructure stack there, but if you can't get the infrastructure you need on demand when you need it with the ability to scale and do all the things that you get from the cloud that's benefits, those are ultimately gonna hurt businesses' ability to innovate. Mm-hmm. Right, so we kind of think about like try to make this point to, to our customers when we go past just the storage teams and are talking to CIOs or line of business executives. Like storage actually is an inhibitor to to your ability to innovate if not done right. So we're really, really focused on empowering your builders to go do what they need to do by letting your storage teams build that infrastructure as a service for them and taking care of the storage component.
0: I yeah, I, you've got a lot there. And, and something that I want to kind of go back and unpack or talk about a little bit more is you mentioned MSPs. Um, these These VARs or service providers, all the in, in general in aggregate, that whole group, mm-hmm. these guys are getting hit with challenges that they 've maybe not seen a lot of before. What do you have to do, and I know it's not your job at at pure, but what do you have to do to educate this whole cluster of hundreds of of, uh, of partners to level them up so that when they 're coaching their customers these these small medium businesses or emerging businesses or branches of a larger business? Because they're the reliable partner. How do we get them to be smarter about what the options are?
1: Yeah, it's twofold. I mean, fortunately, we're we're mature enough as a company where we have people that are focused on those segments, mm-hmm. right? That, that work with MSPs, that work with mature GSIs, that work with VARs, and that, that touch those folks, right? And have relationships there. And it's a mix of here's how the technology can enable you. What are your, it's, it's a standard conversation you have with them. Right? What are the pain points you're having? Where are you having a hard time scale? What are the customer challenges you're trying to meet? Um, there's a technology component piece of it, but I think what the approach our teams really take is a profitability and sort of service line piece of it too. What are the things, what are the new products and new services you're trying to sell to your customers? Mm-hmm. How are you gonna keep growing your business? Great, how can we then fit into that and enable that and, and push that forward?
0: Hmm. Uh, you mentioned Fusion. So I think a lot of people know Pure from the array business, mm-hmm. of course, uh, but the software side may be a little less less known by everyone. So yeah. just dive into that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So even before I actually answer that question directly and like talk about Fusion, like Pure at its heart is a software company, right? That was, that is, there are a number of companies that build all flash arrays. They're not the same as Pure, pure flash arrays. Okay. Um, and the whole problem space we we entered in was much more of a software problem than a hardware problem. It's right. How do you design from the ground up um, to tax the flash ar- the the flash memory itself uh, in a way that it lasts longer and is more durable, right? How do you do data compression the point mm-hmm. where flash economics can be um, can work at scale, right? Compete with, with hybrid arrays and disk and those sorts of things. Um, how do you build an automation? Again, it's a, t- it's a TCO store at the end of the day. We try to say storage isn't should not be a commodity. We don't treat it as one. We treat it as an innovation area. But at the end of the day for our customers, oftentimes it comes down to a TCO equation. And so how do we make the TCO work on something with potentially more expensive hardware componentry and flash? You have to look at the totality of the picture. Right, and so we do, we've, mm-hmm. Pure has always been a, a software company in its heart. Right, As that is that yeah, why?
0: There's some metal parts too. That there are, well, no, <laughs> that the, but the software
1: is what makes that metal understood. most optimized, right? Understood. And so, and you know, I bristle whenever, this In one of the last conversations I actually had with an analyst who's saying, well, yeah, you guys, you guys revolutionized with Flash, but now everyone has Flash, so what's next? I'm like, well, it's not all built equal, right? There's a reason we grow 40% year over year and are still taking a ton of market share, because it's not for new applications. winning workloads others had
0: but i mean since hybrid came along and disrupted i mean some of the early versions were scary i mean you saw the same stuff i'm sure arrays with uh, client sata drives in them Mm -hmm. are now all flash arrays which is yikes i mean that that's scary faster than hard drive sure less power yeah but not not built for enterprise resiliency and reliability yeah that's right but even now i mean we still see plenty of big brand names where they really haven't done a lot on the software side to take full advantage of the flash. They swapped yep. out the, that's right. They just, the, the caddy Yep. and put it And Sometimes it's even a two and a half inch, uh, SSD in a three and a half inch caddy going into yeah, the, it's a storage system. It's
1: the laziest way to check a customer box, if you will. Right. Or to kind of say we enter a market. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I can't, I, previous life I worked at Tableau, which was, you know, a leader in, uh, what the market generally referred to as data visualization. Mm-hmm. There were a whole bunch of data visualization products that kind of came after Tableau. We sort of leapfrog legacy competitors, uh, and they went about it saying, well, okay, the, the, reason, the reason they're winning is because you can build a more beautiful dashboard in Tableau, so we're gonna work on making our products have a beautiful dashboard builder. But oh they, yeah, there
0: was a whole UI revolution. Right,
1: but they missed the point, actually. It wasn't, the, the end product was not what made people buy the customer. It was the a process to actually find answers to your questions in a visual way without having to write SQL or really know kind of these specialized tools in depth. Mm-hmm. It was a visual drag and drop interface to go answer your questions. So we actually bristled that data visualization it was visual analytics and there's a difference, right? So the analogy basically is you tried to copy but you went about it the wrong way and you sort of missed the point. And I think that's happened with a lot of other all-flash arrays. Um, but so the, start, the the longer point of that answer was it was a software problem we were solving, right? Mm -hmm. There was hardware, obviously it runs on physical hardware, Mm -hmm. but most of the engineering, most of the magic was really in the software and how the software deeply works with that hardware. So now Fusion- Well, before you get to the
0: Fusion though, what I think was interesting um, is earlier today, um, you've got a couple of the new flash blades under uh, Lucite or or, or something, right? So you can see the, the physical hardware. And you guys have done a good job of communicating that the chassis is a thing, the compute's a thing, the storage is a thing, and they can all sort of come apart and, mm-hmm. and go in and be moved around and whatever. You know, I, I guess further getting to the point that it is hardware, yes, but ultimately it is the software that ties these things together. And even the flash modules, I didn't realize, uh, rely very little on the controller, what would traditionally be a controller in an SSD architecture and much more on the x86 and the software there to manage access at the NAND level. I mean, mm-hmm. so there's some interesting things there that, again, I don't think are real broadly known. And maybe yep. your customers, at the end of the day, don't care that much or whatever, but there are some really unique things there uh, that, uh, that are worth differentiating. So yep. uh, anyway, so now I'll carry on. Yeah,
1: so, but we do, we do love to, I don't think our customers ultimately care about that they care about the outcome right and the outcome that delivers and there's a reason that not all flash arrays not all flash storage products are created equal it's because of those things right and ultimately you're not going to have the durability the performance the data reduction all the the ease of use all those things that they do get from pure that's because of that software level so now all the way coming around to fusion uh, it's 12 minutes later (laughs) 12 minutes later uh fusion like fusion is that abstraction layer that in many ways even like it hides the array like you don't it, it takes it it, it it takes one you go from one array to a fleet of arrays but to their and it's a you know it's the simplest way you can say it's a cloud control plane to manage this fleet of arrays but that's really again not the outcome that mm-hmm. it delivers um, it does a couple things one is it it shifts the way ultimately it's a, it's the software layer that shifts the way a storage team operates at its most fundamental level is most of our customers today, I think most storage teams today, operate in a generally sort of reactive way. Of They get requests from the business for mm-hmm. a volume, some capacity, performance level, mm-hmm. some sort of data protection policy, whatever that is. Right, and they go react to it and they, then they- It's
0: a ticket. I mean, it's they, a ticket, they
1: yeah. get a ticket and they try to solve that ticket and it takes them kind of a while to solve that ticket. So then you have to really understand the application and what's the performance profile and, and data volume going to be of that application a year into the future and well, application developers often don't have any ability to answer those questions. Right, so you're guessing, mm-hmm. uh, but that's exactly so it's this manual waterfall process based off the ticket, and that's kind of the way it works. With Fusion, that changes entirely, where the storage teams become really SREs in a way, or okay. builders of uh, builders of on-demand storage pools. So Fusion will take their arrays, group them into. Uh, first into an availability zone. So I can you know, have these arrays available in. we're here in Los Angeles, right? So let's say we have a data center in Los Angeles, so the availability zone is Los Angeles one, mm-hmm. and I've got a mix of X's, XL's, C's, all in that availability zone. Okay. So now I've got different performance characteristics off of those arrays. Um, so I can create different policies on top of that and say, okay, here's a capacity-optimized one, here's a performance-optimized one, here's an even higher performance-optimized one, call it gold, silver, bronze class, or whatever you wanna say.
0: And Fusion can do this all just by knowing what it's, what it's able to see in its little piece of the infrastructure.
1: Yeah, so F- Fusion will enable the, the storage teams to actually create those policies, name them, set the limits on IOPS and mm-hmm. data volumes and throughput and put protection policies in place and all those kind of things. And then that gets exposed to the end user.
0: So you're really creating more of a service provider modality, I think, at this 100%. point, because you're you're doing you're talking about things like QoS and all these yep. other things, and, and tuning that for for the for the workload. Right. So our okay. customer
1: becomes our the storage team becomes a provider of storage as a service. Mm-hmm. They are the service provider to their end customers. Okay. Some of those some of our customers will be MSPs that do that for a living. Sure. Others are IT departments moving into this as a service model and supporting their customers in that way.
0: Now this has been talked about to be fair for maybe a decade or more mm-hmm. at this point, I remember, um, gosh, it was some sort of snake thing. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. And then they open sourced uh, uh, that, um, that was a EMC, EMC thing. November, yep. Uh, why hasn't this historically worked?
1: Uh, it's really, really hard. Uh, is one part of it like this is a
0: I saw the demo a 10-year-old came up on stage and provisioned something in in like 98 seconds Yeah, yeah. well building that was easy. The demo's easy. The, oh. the, the
1: building of it's really really hard oh, said it okay. uh, Viper had another channel Viper is a really ambitious project um, mm-hmm. One thing Viper was trying to do for better or for worse and we're not doing at this point is um, be array agnostic so right so every Every, there's not a single customer I've spoken with that has not said, you know what, this fusion model, I don't need this thing. This cloud operating model doesn't, nah, that's not the world I want to work in. Like everybody gravitates to that. Uh, and then the number one objection I get is, but that just works for pure storage. Okay. But, but I, I don't have just pure
0: storage in my data center. I also oh, have Dell EMC. But you can I tell them a, I can fix that problem, right? We can well, that's <laughs> exactly
1: what I say. I'm like, I'm happy to take those out. Resolve that right? problem um, So they're like, what I need is fusion to work across all those things. But that introduces a
0: lot of complexity. It does. And
1: I say, well, that's great. I totally get it. Like, I 100% understand that. But I need to be able to make this product successful. And I don't want to repeat the failing of EMC Viper. And every single person just kind of nods their head. They're like, oh, yeah, okay. They remember that? They remember that. It scarred a lot of people in the industry. That have been around for a long time. Um, Which is why you just kind of saw it open sourced and go away, right? Like, EMC just stopped investing there. So we're focusing on, right now, pure arrays, the environment we can control, mm-hmm. right, to make sure that this works and it works really, really well. And maybe, maybe, maybe one day in the future, we go beyond that. I don't see that day anytime soon. Like, we have a lot of work to do to go from the flash array family and it's just block right now to ultimately bringing in file, to ultimately bringing in FlashBlade and, like, being that common Operating control plane that sits on top of all the storage block file and object from pure mm-hmm. uh, And kind of can be that end-to-end control plane for pure So we have years to go to that journey when everything is kind of working perfectly and then maybe at the end of that journey We look to hopefully everyone's replaced all their storage with pure anyway, so it's a moot point But if if by chance that hasn't happened we go deeper,
0: but that is the vision to get the whole pure family Absolutely under that would that include? uh some of the cloud delivery mechanisms too
1: or... cloud, cloud block store will be uh infusion within the next couple of
0: months okay so yeah. that that's right right there yeah
1: that's right there and that's a really key piece of it actually um because we say a couple of, you know the marketing claims one is limitless scale or infinite scale at some point your data center capacity is constrained so by being able to spin up cloud availability zones of cloud block store we, you can just kind of keep going as far as your credit card will take <laughs>
0: And what clouds are, are supported?
1: AWS and Azure. Okay. Um, and so that's one piece of it. The other one is we talked about that hybrid world that customers live in, right? And so cloud block store based on the purity operating system. It really is the first, uh, we'll call a true SDS product that pure is built, right? Okay. It is the same operating system that runs on flash array CXXL, but built on different backend infrastructure mm-hmm. provided by AWS and Azure. Um, But with that, you get that common data plane. And so you have really, really good application and data mobility between your cloud and on-premises. Fusion being that control plane that can orchestrate that and you can seamlessly, transparently move a workload from an on-prem availability zone into a cloud availability zone without the application being disrupted, without the the end application team, you know, having any kind of a downside impact from that.
0: Um, How much of that can be policy driven or rules driven it's all policy driven so okay so you walk through a couple scenarios where where that workload might migrate for whatever reason just what what are you seeing or what do you expect to see
1: yeah potentially like i want to be able to create copies you know copies of of the database to be able to do dev tests or analytics off of those and i want to offload those into the cloud and do that there so that's one of the things you would do right that's that's a scenario that applies there um or you know, I think yeah, that's a core one where we'll see more and more cloud block cloud block store use cases are actually underpinning other apps already running in the cloud and other first-party apps like things we do really well, VMware, SQL Server, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm standing those up in the cloud, great, I'll, I'll probably pick cloud block store to do that with there. And if I'm doing something differently on prem; it'll be a different okay. app there. Um, so. But the, that's essentially, that's the that's the provider experience of Fusion. On the end user side, they never even know what the storage array is. They don't, they, they see a, a catalog of, of policy-based storage classes they have access to, mm-hmm. and they see the availability zone that it lives in, but that's it. They don't know what the, they don't know if it's a flash array. They don't know even know if it's a flash array or anything from pure storage. They right. don't need to know that.
0: The array also, is really
1: invisible to them.
0: Does this also encompass the, uh, uh, the financial side chargebacks. I mean, is yep. that, that's, yeah, we provide all that data back to, back to the IT teams
1: or the MSPs so they can do that with their customers and ultimately going to build more around that.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, because even if you have internal constituents, I mean, one of the biggest problems is yeah, sure. I'll take platinum. Like why not? Right. <laughs> if there's no cost associated. Well, and that's what you saw
1: in that demo today, right? Mm-hmm. Is someone started in that scenario, someone started at a higher end tier and now they've got to go drive down the cost of their application and, so two lines of code and they, they switch it to a more capacity optimized here.
0: Well, too, I think there's a lot of potential to uh, analyze the, the data to yep. make sure, and, and maybe even have some policies around this, to make sure that those workloads are in the appropriate place, either for performance reasons, cost reasons, but you know, the, the, the development teams just aren't real up on infrastructure implications, whether it's cloud or on-prem, right? Yep. I mean, that's a-
1: that's, And I guess nor should they be right? Like well, no, at that's at not the, end the end of the day, not It's not, that's not their job. Um, and so that's the that's the beauty of Fusion in a lot of ways is we don't make that their problem. And today in an on-premises world, in a cloud world, it's not. Again, right? They go pick, I mean, I, I would argue people don't even really look at the storage in the cloud, like EBS being the leader of cloud block storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people aren't Actually buying EBS or buying EC2 or RDS or some other service that just comes with it. Right. So they're not even thinking about that layer of the infrastructure, um, which is kind of how it should be in the on-prem world too. Like I'm happy that the application developers have no idea necessarily that pure storage is behind the covers, uh, and that's the thing that's enabling them to have that experience. That shouldn't matter to them. They should just be able to get the resources they need, that perform the way they need to, and fit their cost model and all their other policy model. So.
0: So you're you're talking too about. I mean, this improving service, improving delivery. Um, I mean, you guys are talking a lot this week too, about, uh, as a service model and some of the new things you're doing in evergreen. Mm -hmm. Maybe give us a little hit on that in terms of the progression on, on those parts of the business too.
1: Yeah. There's in some ways it's, there's a new offering
0: and there's some rebranding
1: going on, right? So, what was Evergreen, and we had, you know, kind of different support classes of it, Evergreen Gold, Evergreen Silver, mm-hmm. gets renamed Evergreen Forever. Uh, what was Pure as a Service, uh, gets renamed uh, Evergreen One. And which, very, the, coming new to Pure, not being, you know, say I wasn't born a Pure, I had jobs before that. Mm-hmm. I hear PaaS, I think Platform as a Service. So I was always oh. like, that's really weird, why do you guys call this? Like, no one instinctively thinks of PaaS as pure as a service. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a really known term. Sure. So I think there was a fair amount of confusion around that. Um, so th- those those services, those haven't exactly changed, but there's been a bigger emphasis on the Evergreen brand itself because that is a core piece of differentiation in pure and this foundation of Evergreen ability to upgrade your hardware, upgrade your software, do it completely non-disruptively. I and mean, we still have you know, arrays out there from like the M series that are five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, mm-hmm. right? That have been upgraded in place up to the latest controllers, latest software. So that that foundation underpins a lot of our technology. Even that underpins Fusion. Fusion wouldn't have been possible for us to build without that evergreen nature in place and the ability to non-disruptively move data across arrays mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. So. Those two offerings, you know, while you call it a rebrand, it's a a doubling down on the foundation of Evergreen. Um, The new piece to the mix is Evergreen Flex, which uh, is a subscription. It sort of splits subscription and CapEx, where it's a software subscription and the hardware is purchased uh, in a CapEx model um, at a you know, really a, basically a cost price. So we're we are charging you, we're, we're monetizing our customers on software, we're selling the hardware essentially at cost kind of in that way. Um, but it's less of a financial construct and I think it's more, again, around you're just buying, you're buying storage capacity in an Evergreen Flex model and then you can deploy that capacity on the hardware that fits your need. And so you're not over-provisioning or having to buy, too many arrays of one model or too many arrays of another model and trying to again, guess what you need, you're subscribing to capacity and then can right. you purchase the hardware that matches the performance needs you have or the application needs you so, have.
0: So this is a tricky one. Not that, it's, you, know, that you guys are doing anything you know, terribly weird, it's just that I think the industry has gone <laughs> head over skis to a certain extent on everything as a service. Mm-hmm and it's really hard to tell sometimes between what's really being delivered as a service and what's, um, and how much of it's just a, a dollar leaseback model that's being stated or a different right. way? Ever, it's more of a financial model.
1: Evergreen Flex. Yeah, and this. I mean, the the Evergreen Flex you could argue is a financial model versus what used to be pure as a service now Evergreen One is truly an as a service where you're just subscribing to SLAs. Okay. Uh, and and then we are we are meeting what you subscribe to. We're bringing okay. in the hardware when you have when you need additional headroom. We're up in front of that with more capacity. Like it, that that truly is an on premises. And, and cloud service, because the same way you buy cloud block store. Including
0: the management, though, too, right? Including the management right. as well. So
1: that truly is a fully managed service okay. versus... Yet some customers actually said, you know what? I don't really want the fully managed service. I just I, I want an OpEx way to buy, uh, which isn't what Pure as a service was intended to be. Okay. So Evergreen Flex will scratch that itch, if you will. But again, I think it's more than just a subscription way to buy and more than just a financial model. It really does provide a lot of flexibility. When you are what you were subscribing to is is ultimately capacity, essentially, or or array credits, right? And then you you choose yeah. what you want to apply those on.
0: Well, how do you manage that versus cloud costs then? Because it gets very cloudy in the consumption uh, obviously some workloads can't leave the data center, so that's fine. And that maybe is well. In
1: that model. All those workloads are staying in the data center. Well, no, right?
0: absolutely. So, yeah. so some models can't go to the, or some data can't go to the cloud. So it has to stay there. So this yep. model makes a lot of sense, but if it's a, if it's a workload that can move or a data set that can move, the consumption model is very cloud like. Mm-hmm. So how do you, do you still manage to be less expensive then or how do you reconcile the 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 cost at the end of the day yeah
1: ultimately we and even our customers today who are in cloud and are using our cloud block store product they're coming to us outside there there's a subset of customers who they're buying into just the i run pure on-prem i want to run pure in the cloud everything we talked about kind of that data plane consistency and application consistency that's great um there are other customers who don't run Pure at all on-prem today that are still coming to Cloud Block Store and our Cloud product, uh, and that is predominantly a cost savings. Hmm. Um, ultimately, data reduction, thin provisioning, um, data services, and you know instant snapshots that don't take up any space. Those kind of things re- really the thin provisioning and the and the dedupe are what save the most. But so when they run an EBS or an Azure Disk and then you look at the cost of it, and then you look at Cloud Block Store over a
0: reasonable scale, the savings are significant. That's interesting. So that's one, the data reduction is one that's been hard in the cloud, and most vendors, I don't think, have figured that out. Yep. How is Pure able to accomplish that? It's the same,
1: I mean, it is our Purity operating system. It's the same, it's the same thing we built to solve, like again, to build an all-flash array, it was a big data reduction problem. Mm-hmm. There's a number of problems, like what again—the the resiliency and the longevity of the flash, but also the ability to store an adequate amount of data at scale on it. You needed to, to crack data reduction, so that's not built into our hardware. That's built into our software right. that does that. It's the exact same software, right? So all of the patents and all the IP that went into building. Purity and, and building on-prem Pure, what it is, gets ported into the cloud, mm-hmm. right, and carried there, and that data reduction applies um, to, to those cloud-based applications. And so that really is, I mean, that, again, that's the core of the special sauce behind Pure and what makes it work on on, on the on-premises flash array hardware and the FlashBlade hardware is the same thing that's, that's making it work on top of the cloud hardware. Do you find, I mean, taking the software to the cloud is not trivial, but it was very non-trivial. It was um, to actually taking the software to the cloud, it can be trivial. Like, you know, ultimately it runs in a VM. You just stick a VM up there and, and okay. run it. That doesn't really work though, right, in any kind of level of scale. Taking our software, just the way we design our hardware, we had to design that software to run on the inf- the hardware that was made available by the cloud vendors. And I'll use the term hardware loosely. Right, uh, which is
0: not the same. The APIs aren't the same. So every time you do this The APIs a new aren't cloud. the same. And the services aren't the same. That's a lot of the, new work each it, time.
1: It, correct, so it was, you know, we we first launched Cloud Block Store for AWS and essentially like on launch day of that product, we went to go work on the Azure product. And that was over a year for a pretty sizable engineering team to go build mm-hmm. that. To the, to the performance and you know product quality scale that we had, because again, it's not an easy port. And that's part of the reason we haven't done GCP right. yet, is it's also going to be a massive lift, even though I know the customer demand is there.
0: And so you've got customers in the cloud only, which is yeah. pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's it's not the largest percentage, but there no, are some. And, but and, it, the fact and that it's happening is gonna be And we're seeing more.
1: There's one uh, who we're pretty advanced with in a, in a POC right now, it's just kind of been hitting my desk, um, and again, they had one of those C, CEO, CIO kind of level decisions of we're out of the data center business. Our leases are coming up, we're gonna move everything to the cloud, you know, kind of damn the torpedoes, like go, we're, we're, into the, we're into the cloud, and again the cloud, and then all of a sudden their costs are like astronomical compared to what they were expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. And now they're scrambling for, okay, how do, we, how do we reduce our costs? And they start to look at the parts of their bill that are really high and reducible, and they find cloudlock store through their research and now they're coming back to us around that, right? And so, and, and again, in that scenario, it's gonna be thin provisioning and data reduction are the things that are going to save them a massive amount of money over the cloud bill.
0: Can you tier on different cloud storage types as well at some point using the, you know, if you're on using the high performance block yep. and then maybe like their archive tier or? Yeah, is,
1: we can, we try to make that as, we build that into the solution in kind of the smartest way possible. So we don't give a customer too many options. Like part of, again, what Pure has done is taking all the complexity out of building the perfect storage array uh, and finding the right components. Like it just all kind of works with Pure and mm-hmm. people really appreciate that simplicity. That's that's what Cloud Block Store does in the cloud. So we hide, you know, are you running Azure Ultra Disks or Azure Premium or this or that? We we really kind of hide, we, we, or cu- we explain to our customers, the documentation will all share it, but we don't make the customer choose of, I want this performance tier, or I want this performance tier, or I want this level of storage, or it, well,
0: no, it's The cloud's it's gotta be offer. about simplicity and, yeah. and just ease of use, right? And it isn't,
1: really, like now, there's so many different options in there for a customer, it can oh, almost well, be overwhelming.
0: Yeah. I was at a- AWS in, in December at their event, and you start talking about the sheer count of instance types, and mm-hmm. now with Graviton they've got yeah, a third more, more of yep. all the compute ones, right? And it's um, really hard. Yep. and I, I think that's part of the the fight that the customers have is, what do I even need to buy, and do I need this in large or XL? And like, and the nomenclature yep. then changes as you go to the next cloud. And you know, we talk about things like data portability. Oh, you don't like that? You just hop over to the next uh, the next cloud and carry on, right? But it's not that simple. Nope,
1: not at all. So that's. That's the simplicity we're trying to provide them, right, at least on the storage side.
0: Interesting. We left Fusion uh, without talking about um, cost. How is that licensed, how does that manifest itself? Yeah, so
1: Fusion is, is gonna be an add-on product. Right. Um, at least in the, uh, I gotta remember our new names, the Evergreen uh, Flex and mm-hmm. Evergreen Forever models. Okay. Um, essentially, when you're not buying a storage as a service from us, because Fusion enables your storage as a service. So in the artist formerly known as PaaS, the evergreen one, you're, you're buying our storage as a service, so our technology that enables storage as a service is kind of part of that. Um, but in the other ones where you're trying to build storage as a service using those components, Fusion is, a, is an add-on layer to that. So think of it as a, um as based on effective use, essentially okay. effective use capacity. So it, rough math will probably add about 10 to 15% to the, to the, total, the total solution cost.
0: Interesting, But okay. in
1: a lot of customer research we've done, the savings on a storage team's perspective is massive. Like we're talking about a 50, 60% reduction in storage administration work. And so that's time back people get to do other things and go other ways. Your, store, your array utilization rates are a lot higher. Your developer productivity is much higher. So um, in all of our research and all of the feedback has been pretty positive on that's, that's, a, that's a small price to pay for the, for the ultimate advantages we get.
0: We've talked a lot about developers. I'd be remiss if, uh, I know you're not a container guy, but if mm-hmm. we didn't talk a little bit about Portworx and what's going on there, what's the latest in terms of the integration with uh, the core pure business, and like just what's, what's going on? Yeah, I mean,
1: in many ways we want to make, well, not many ways, we, we want to make FlashArray the best hardware platform to run Portworx on. Okay. I mean, one of the beauties of Portworx is it isn't restricted to any hardware platforms, but, we work closely with that team to really kind of optimize around the flash array. And um, they have their concept of cloud volumes essentially is what is what Portworx enables delivery of. That works in public clouds. So if you th- this cloud volumes concept works in the three major hyperscale public clouds, the only on-premises platform it works on is flash array. Um, and so there is more work we do that way.
0: Uh, well, Port- what about those workloads or Different or what can you do with Flash Array to, to tune for those workloads? How does that intersect? It's just
1: API level integration and, and kind of deeper deeper relationship and integration between the dev teams uh, to that's one more back-end platform that Portworx does a does a next level kind of on. Um, Portworx is recently GA Portworx Data Services, PDS, it's mm-hmm. referred to, which is essentially containerized database as a service. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are things we wanna see potentially even run. I know
0: you've got a session tomorrow on, I was going through the catalog on, hey, did you know you can do SQL on containers and, yep. and all this stuff? And it, those are the things that I think initially people were um, apprehensive about, like the born in the cloud workloads were the easy, right? Because yep. they, they were native uh, containers from the jump, but these sort of uh, like leg- legacy yeah. apps or traditional app database, you know, it, it's neat to be able to see a path to containerization for those guys. Yeah, and
1: Portworx may you don't have to necessarily be a Kubernetes expert to be able to spin that up with Portworx Data Services. That's again part of part of the value prop there. But could we have Portworx Data Services running, you know, across on-premises flash arrays under the Fusion umbrella? Like those, those are the kind of conversations we're having with the Portworx team, trying to find those next levels of integration uh, well
0: yeah and I know I mean you're obviously a good VMware partner and we yep. don't want to disparage that relationship however there's a big question mark about where investments going to be going in in VMware on a go-forward basis yep. at least next year and beyond yeah
1: and if customers look if that accelerates and again no one knows where it's going necessarily but uh, if customers do look for does that does the change with VMware ownership accelerate people's move to kubernetes if so, then our Portworx partnership is going to be really, really beneficial that way. But it doesn't change any of the investment we're making around VMware. It's a well, no. It's obviously, right?
0: yeah. It's it's um, still the enterprise operating system, if you will, right?
1: Yeah, and we've really, really invested a lot there to be deep out ahead of the evolves and working closely around VMware in the cloud and with the cloud block store there. And so, in general, like that is a that that partnership for us is paramount of importance, and everything we're doing with Portworx isn't. To me, does it, it doesn't. We're not shifting dev resources right. that way, right? It's, right? it's supporting customers where they're where they are, where they're going, and we expect them to keep going in place of VMware, right? Which is why we're still so far out ahead of everything V and continuing to continuing to invest there. Um, so that's one area. We recently did an event called Pure Dev, uh, which is okay. targeting more of the dev sec op audience mm-hmm. um, and the, those automation people. We did that jointly with Portworks. So that was us trying to kind of find that overlap in um, an audience of of automation people within companies and automation engineers and DevOps sort of folks um, that have traditional storage that are looking at containerized applications, PDS being great, again, kind of productivity tool for developers um, and the DevOps people need to make that infrastructure available to them. It's those people that are automating the availability of infrastructure resources. Right. So I think you'll see more and more co-marketing across FlashArray and Portworx as well.
0: Hmm. Um, one other big partnership that you guys are excited about is, of course, NVIDIA. Everyone loves what they're doing with the, the GPUs and AI. Yep. Is If you're not doing it, you're definitely falling behind in, mm-hmm. in these big businesses. Uh, you've got some new stuff there, too, around certified solutions or converged solutions, yep. however you're, you're looking at them. What's uh, what's at a high level, what are we looking at there?
1: You're a little out of my wheelhouse on that one. It's more that's mostly on the FlashBlade side, um, but I gotta imagine with the new FlashBlade S, like, you're gonna see an acceleration there, and just the really just a huge step forward of platform in terms of performance and capacity and uh, sustainability and all those kind of points around FlashBlade, so I think that's just gonna accelerate that. But the specifics of what's happened in NVIDIA is just not, not anything I work on.
0: So are you hearing, though, from customers that An increase in in awareness or questions around uh, around how to leverage GPUs or accelerators of any kind I mean it's got to be a common conversation right sure yeah Yeah. what's what does that sound like to you what what's the the big uh, question or or challenge I mean they all want to improve margin or whatever at the end of the day but how does it translate to the way they talk to you about it
1: yeah I mean most most of the customers are talking to us trying to understand how how we'll either use that technology or integrate with kind of those latest and greatest uh, so they can get the benefit of it uh, and it's back to great a new piece of similar to that cloud block store example right of where we hide all the the complexity it's the innovation that comes from the cloud is great it also creates complexity when you have a bunch of new offerings come out we try to hide that complexity as much as possible and just give sort of the perfect solution customers. I think, and GPUs is just another example of that.
0: Well, I mean, that's part of the trick, right, of the data. How do you get the data adjacent to the GPUs? Because ultimately it's got to get squished into the little uh, DDR on the card and, and analyze, and then, yep. and then something comes out the other side. So there's like a big data transport challenge there too. But yeah, uh,
1: so that's the, 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 really the dialogue is period. So yes, I have this challenge Pierre. How are you going to help me solve that?
0: And I suppose it's the same way that as things come along, you know, how can I use now we're talking about Flash for primary backup, which is pretty yeah. exciting, because when you have your backups on Flash, when you've got to restore from a ransomware attack or whatever, it's, it's, it, it's just there, instantaneous, right? Instantaneous,
1: practically, right? And so you have that, that Flash recovery speed, mm-hmm. uh, which I think we have a product called Flash recovery, right? That, that plays off that nicely. But, uh, right, and then now you can have the cost economics work, right? Between QLC and what we've done with Flash or AC, like that's really price competitive to We'll call it the less. I don't want to. don't want to say lesser storage that's used in backup, but it's typically been the cheap and cheerful, and, yeah. uh, and flash has been. You know, that's the that's for my top top tier one percent of my data center applications. That just isn't the case anymore.
0: No, there's much much more. All right, well, this is a great conversation. Appreciate you uh, breaking away from the madness for a little while to hang out and, and do this. It was yeah, a great thank conversation. you for having me. It was great. All right, cool. All right, thanks, time. Thank you.